0: Welcome back to the MeSuite Podcast. I'm Donna Peters. Let's get in there. On today's episode of the MeSuite, I'm going to focus on a most requested topic, the topic of well-being, wellness at work. This is so timely, many of you may be aware that major organizations have founded a new position called Chief Wellness Officer, Chief Well-Being Officer, Some of these companies include Delta Airlines, Deloitte, EY, Aon, Geisinger. And even just this morning, I did a Google search on Indeed.com for chief wellness, chief well-being officer roles and found almost 1,000 posted roles for this position. It is extremely timely, not just as we think about well-being and wellness at work, but even thinking about what does it mean to even be at work? So I have asked the expert, David O'Koyman, to join us for this discussion. David is the founder and director of Nook Company, N-O-O-K, and the mission of this company is to improve personal well-being at work. He is a designer, a product designer by training, and he's helping brains perform better at work by evolving our work environment. I would like to welcome David O'Coyman to the Suite.
1: Thank you for having me, Donna. It's absolutely great to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: I have a blank page of paper and I'm going to have a lot to learn. So, David, I want to start first with a few things. Maybe they're just congratulations. I noticed that you have won an IDA Design Award, Innovation Award. Your company is certified as an autism resource. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, The product that we create, uh, one of the products we create has been certified as an autism resource, correct?
0: David, I'm very impressed by the companies that are already latching on to the benefit of improving personal well-being at work. Disney, Marriott, Samsung, Stanford University, Pfizer, Adidas, SpaceX have all been collaborating with you. So you're not just this broad area of wellness and well-being at work and designing work environments for that, but you also are very honoring of neurodiversity. Can you say a little bit about that?
1: Oh my gosh yeah absolutely I would say it's uh, a founding uh, cornerstone <laughs> of the uh, of the organization and of the purpose of the organization in fact our principle around design for the extreme benefits that mean uh, is you know it's it's the springboard from which the the products and the services that we provide uh, come so we believe very much that if you design a world with the extreme uh, needs of people in mind the solutions that you develop are A, unique, and B, uh, benefit everybody at the end of the day.
0: Can you say a little bit about your purpose and how you have been focusing all of your energy now into this company with a purpose of increasing our wellness and productivity at work? What does that mean? How do we even break it down?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, it starts with a a problem. I believe for the longest time that our workspace has become toxic for a silent majority of people. As we've broken down the walls, literally broken down the walls to create this open working environment, people have put walls back up by putting headphones on, Uh by not coming into work, uh, by avoiding certain areas of the company, uh, by... You know, avoiding particular activities by becoming, um, you know, at historically high levels of unproductiveness in the work environment. Before we went into Corona, we were at something like 18%. And that up around 75% of people were actively looking or keeping their eye out for new opportunities, for new positions to to change roles and leave the workplace environment. So we've created something of a problem for ourselves. Mm. And you know what they say? necessity is the mother of invention so too is frustration so out of that sort of frustration you know uh the purpose that i started nook with in 2016 was to give people tools and to make it as simple as possible okay (laughs) and then boil it down into easy tools for for organizations not just workplace but education healthcare, uh, even football stadia and all sorts of interesting environments where people not just work, but also live, heal, play, all of which are becoming very blended at the moment.
0: Yeah. What are you solving for in your design?
1: So, what we're doing is we're, we're first of all, starting around the principle that uh, everybody is different and this one size does not fit all, but in fact, one size misfits all. Okay. So, what we're looking to do is to build an element of personalization uh, and at the heart of thinking about neurodiversity and at the heart of inclusivity mm. is choice mm. and so and you can't have choice without options so what okay. we're doing is we're looking at bringing options and choice into an environment the built environment so that people may choose what they need based on what they're doing because far from one size fits all i believe that different types of minds mm working on different types of problems even at different times of the day
0: mm-hmm.
1: need different things from their environment like my mind for example if i'm working on a creative problem is completely different to if i'm working on an administrative challenge yeah one is expressive explosive engaging and interesting and the other i can i can almost feel the hair stand up on the back of my neck <laughs> with anticipation so we're using elements like light like sound Mm -hmm. like psychological safety Mm. you know like even nutrition and the physical aspects architecture Mm. of a space because a lot of those invisible elements get ignored and missed when deciding how a space should perform look behave and we make a lot of decisions around you know, what'll look great in the portfolio, what actually, you know, looks aesthetically pleasing, but often we miss in particular, so for example, noise and the effect that noise has on people's brains. And it is the number one workplace survey element mm-hmm. that people to talk about when they complain about their workplace is the effect of distractions and the role that noise plays in that. So we're looking at ways to solve for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's about disturbance. It's also about focus. Mm. So people now, having spent a long time working out of the office, have found ways to engage with their focus and their productivity. They've learned a lot more, perhaps, about themselves than, you know, we knew. Going into uh, Corona, it's forced us to learn a little bit more about ourselves as individuals. And it took a long time too, right? People Mm -hmm. are slow to change. Like people six months, you know, after lockdown were still perched on the edge of the bed with the laptop or using a, you know, a terrible old stool and, uh, you know, ill-equipped desk uh, to just get by. But the fact that it went on, the longer it went on, the more we actually started to pay a little bit more attention on my back, I could do with a better seat. Oh, the sound when the rest of my family's around and I'm on a phone call, I need to isolate the space a little bit better. So we've actually finally started to really start to pay attention to what we need mm. and how we perform and how we engage best. And taking those lessons now back into the workplace where we're being sucked back a little bit because, you know, our employer has this space yeah. and wants us to use it, wants us to come and use it. I'm getting ready for it, So get in here. <laughs> Right, and I might tell you it's for engagement reasons, but in actual fact, some of it is you know to justify the fact that we still have the space. So I think there's a big change going to occur over the next ten years as rental events occur mm. and organisations see the opportunity to downsize. But fundamentally, it comes back to this notion of understanding ourselves and what, how we perform and how we engage in the things that we need, and disturbance plays a big role in that so to those interaction with our with our colleagues what we do need it for and what we don't need it for yeah. focused work we don't typically need it for creative work collaboration ip generation we do a little bit more
0: oh yeah i love those segments so let's say for a moment that i have been inside a physical environment that you have helped design and i have been working in your design what are some of the things that people say after they have a chance to experience your thoughtfulness around sound and lighting, collaboration, creativity, etc.
1: Yeah, there's two things. The first one is a eureka, and the second <laughs> one is, damn, I don't want to go back to how it was before.
0: Okay. Right? So
1: the eureka is a little bit like, a, how. how is that happening? Because you can do really extraordinary, interesting things with people's minds mm. if you apply some science around acoustics, to an environment or to you know to a space within a space, one of the areas that we focus specifically on is providing retrofittable pod-type solutions that can give an element of psychological security and acoustic comfort into a space that otherwise might not have it. So it's a drag and drop kind of plug and play type solution. And the kind of response you get there, and this is unsolicited type response too that turns up on our LinkedIn, on our posts or whatever, And often it's people that say things like, you know, I was really struggling. I Uh was, especially now that we've come back after Corona and I've had all this time where my brain has become a little bit more sensitive to these stimuli. Mm. I was really struggling. And then I went here. I got into this nook product or I, you know, I went into this particular environment where you might have advised on and I felt something occur within me that allowed me to just settle and reset and you know in yoga and mindfulness they talk about take a deep breath it almost makes you conscious of your Mm -hmm. breathing to be in a space like this that's been thoughtfully put together not just by us of course but by people who really cared about trauma-informed design design for the extreme design for neuro inclusivity etc you can really notice Mm. when you walk into a space like that most people can in particular someone who really needs it can notice it It doesn't have to have a big sign over saying, you know, this space is special for people with dyslexia or ADHD or, you know, whatever it is, autism or whatever. But let me tell you, if someone who who needs it walks into that space, they can tell you straight away that this space is doing something different and unique for their mind that allows them to first settle, take a deep breath. And then this sort of tunnel effect can occur if it's focused that you want. or this. Intimacy can occur mm. if it's connection that you're looking for. So that's, if you boil it down, it's about really sharpening in on the, the ability to focus mm. or really building the capability to intimately connect. Not just lots of people standing around talking at a water cooler, but actually genuinely make a short, powerful connection.
0: I love this, David, because some of the resistance as some companies are trying to decide what is our go-back-to-work formula how much are we requiring hybrid or in office and why make make my trip to the office worth it you've given examples of what would make it worth it the intimate connection with the other human beings the ability perhaps to focus better be more productive you're actually giving reasons why it could be more powerful to get back into the office at the right times with the right people
1: oh, we have incredible tools we, we don't understand perhaps and i think this frustrates me the power that we have In workplace Mm.
0: to give people
1: tools that they can't easily get at home yeah to give them an environment that they couldn't perhaps afford to build at home Mm. you know i love to go to co-working for example because i think co-working for me is right at the front edge of what the future of work looks like Mm. but also because they can afford to invest in Charles Eames chairs. <laughs> for oh, okay. example, or you know, they can really do some interesting acoustic installation in the space or they can really do interesting things by zoning the area or by bringing nutritionists into the space or doing interesting things with events. We have incredible tools at our disposal if we just took time to invest and uncover some of the things you can do with workspace to help people thrive. Yeah. It is proven that if people make friendships in work Mm. they are more resistant to looking for you know other jobs to more resistant to sickness they tend to spend more time engaging being more productive and it isn't always about how many hours they spend working but about how productive those hours are if we can get away from this idea of presenteeism Mm. And it's not just presenteeism in the office, but also presenteeism as in, oh, I can see they're online, so mm. therefore they must be working. That doesn't mean anything. Right? What actually matters is outcomes, not just even output, but outcomes. What are the outcomes that this engagement has for intellectual property, for productivity, for the, you know the the organization's goals at the end of the day? And it's messy and it's difficult and it's a bit scary. But I'm here to tell you, that actually there are easy things that you can do. There are simple steps that you can take to make it easier and to have a big impact. So I'm talking about productivity that has to do with not just hours spent, not just email traffic, not just number of reports written, but actual qualitative outcome-based impact on the work that people are doing. So impact that will actually help the company's mission, Mm -hmm. not just whatever the micromanager's dictated broken down elements of you must do this by friday type of impact but impact that actually goes to creating new intellectual property for the company right. that goes to reducing sickness for the company that goes to increasing turnover or increasing maybe uh new product development or new software solutions or whatever it is impact that allows people i say fundamentally if i may to allow to Use their brains in the best that they're able, and to be able to communicate with the organization what they need in order to be able to do that.
0: so I've got a couple of uh, rapid fire questions for you. Are you sure. ready that you've just you've just inspired me? I've been taking notes. Um, the first one is on a scale of one to ten, how bad was the open floor plan design?
1: Uh, can I use minuses? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it depends on how you're measuring. I mean, it was it, it had value. It had uses. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a great cost saver. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's efficient, uh, <laughs> and it definitely has some value if you're an extrovert. Mm. So, you know, we, we live in a world that was designed by extroverts for people like themselves. I'm, I'm one, I know, okay. <laughs> I should know. Uh, so, you know, for certain types of minds, a, a narrow subset of minds, it, it works, but it's exhausting for everybody else. So I, I want to say on the whole, it, the number is in the minus somewhere.
0: Wow. You said you had started this in 2016, when you personally are moving around the universe into different workspaces and you know you're in a space that is not as conducive to your personal productivity needs, do you do something? Do you do something different? Yeah. Do you play particular music? Do you change the lighting? What, what do you personally do to get it better?
1: Yeah, so often I find um, that when I walk into a space like that, I, I'm, I'm sort of prickled. Is what we say oh. I live in Holland. That's a sort of Dutch word for, you know, your brain is prickled. It starts to you know become a little bit agitated. You can almost feel it yeah. sort of prickling in, inside my head. So I start looking for, I mentioned it before, um, I think it's an important phrase, psychological safety. I'm mm. looking for, first of all, I'll look for somewhere where I can sit with my back to the wall.
0: Ah.
1: It's a very simple trick. But it's a way of making me feel like I can survey the environment wow. and that I can't be surprised no one can approach me. So first of all, now I've got, you know, a 180 view mm-hmm. of the whole space. And the other 180 is, is the safety of a wall behind me. Yeah. So that's one of the things I'll do. I look for corners. I look for darker light. I look for light that I can control. Mm-hmm. I look for quietness. I look, you know, if whether they mean to or not, they might have uh, accidentally created a space that's a little bit quieter than the rest and I won't necessarily want to be there all day but there will be times when I will want mm-hmm. to go there and I think that's important we often you know are kind of addicted with simplifying uh, you know almost taking kind of an, uh, an analog approach and saying I'm an extrovert or I'm an introvert mm-hmm. or an actual fact I'm an ambivert yeah and when I'm doing certain things I'm an extrovert and when I'm doing other things please leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> you know, just give me the time and space to do that because any disruption like ask a programmer they'll tell you if you interrupt you know someone who's programming i've heard it said that it can take you know 45 minutes to an hour to get back to that space where you were before i'll go one step further if you interrupt me when i'm trying to do something akin to programming mm. i might not get back to it till tomorrow or the next day because i will have been trying to overcome all of the things that make me want to put off that difficult task i will have overcome them to engage in that task and now that i've been disrupted I'll use that as an excuse to just stop wow. <laughs> and I won't come back, you know? And so, and I'm not the only one. I'm far from the only one. Right. There's a lot of people that use that as an excuse. Oh, you've interrupted me. Great. I'm going to have a chat with you now and I might never come back to that task or I won't come back to it.
0: There that. is no doubt in my mind that we have listeners smiling <laughs> and nodding <laughs> right now. Yes, that. Right?
1: <laughs> so basically, I'm looking for safe spaces. I'm looking uh. in that space and I might even go somewhere and I might have a look and see if there's cushions. Or if there's a curtain I can pull, or if there's blinds I can turn down, or if there's lighting I can adjust, mm. or if there's even a sofa that I can, you know, corner myself up on with my back to the wall and watch out over the space. So, and I might not run to them, yeah. but I would just want to know they're there.
0: Right. <laughs> that's right. what I'll
1: be doing. I'll stop the space.
0: Yeah. I love it. It's so practical, but it, it's so powerful. What's the first thing you ever designed?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, that's a great question a hairdryer i mean it was just a project that we were giving and it was come up with a new way and so i invented this new way i was always frustrated with which button does what so i wanted to make almost like uh braille features on hairdryer handles so that anyone can learn braille if you care yeah and especially if it's a simplified version of it so i just wanted to make it so that it was you know you could feel what you were doing without having to look and i ran whether this was a great idea or not i don't know but i was always (laughs) driven crazy by the by the cord of a hairdryer, I'm doing visuals for us on video, but of course yes. it won't make sense for people listening. But, you know, it always drove me crazy how the cord of a hairdryer would get wrapped up and entangled in things. So I ran the cord over the back of my hand and down my arm instead of. I've never seen anyone do that since. Right, I don't think. still. Yeah. So maybe that's still an evolution.
0: That is so fun. I would love to be your brain, at least for a day. It must be very interesting in there.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't want to do more than a day, Donna. Honestly, it's
0: exhausting. (laughs) Fair enough. So, David, we have talked about the Nook products. They can be in the workplace. They could be specific to a special event in the educational school environment. And you just gave all these wonderful examples of your innovative brain. So, I am sure these products are evolving. What is on the horizon for how you're going to continue to improve the workspace environment for the benefit of well-being?
1: Well, look, I'm super excited that organizations, um, for example, like British Standards have brought out a new guidance called Design for the Mind, how to make workspace, uh, sorry, how to make the built environment more neuro-inclusive. So what we've been doing is for the longest time, as a product designer, they say, you know, product designers are jack of all trades and a master of none. I've always <laughs> taken umbrage with that. I considered product designers to be a jack of all trades and a master of being a jack of all trades <laughs> okay it's a, you know it, you, the orchestra needs a conductor we can't mm. all be violinists right and so for the longest time i've been um really keen at the idea of i'm very aware that we stand on the shoulders of of giants right who've mm. gone before us so i love to reach out to other fields of expertise and one that fascinates me and there's so much rich beautiful things to learn from is the field of sensory design and in particular design for sensory rooms in schools. So some of the things that we've learned that we're now incorporating into workplace product, things like, and these blow my mind, I hope and think they will blow yours and your listeners too, things like using vibration in seat pads to help people with ADHD to okay. settle. So ADHD, and that's something that um, I uh, I have myself, uh, it's like this, you know, uh, energy that just continuously will not dissipate you almost have, always trying to find ways to get rid of your energy i'm always moving uh-huh. i'm always active you can even hear it just from how i talk i never sit still um but and there's and i'm, and I'm a mild case there's extreme cases now where the, you know the body just can't stop fidgeting and therefore things have been developed fidget spinners mm. and you know fidget sticks and things like that in the sensory world did you know that with the help of vibration in particular in the seat and it has to be adjustable it can't be one set of vibration because it's very personal the person element has to come back if you allow a person to make their seat vibrate to the to a level that suits them yeah that vibration that physicality can send signals into the brain and the body that tells the body that it doesn't need to vibrate it doesn't need to be Uh moving all the time so it has this beautiful advantage it's a talk thing you know it's taking science and technology it's taking science of the extremes and it's bringing it into the workplace and it's benefiting everybody but it's also allowing people with adhd then to fully focus and now you're allowing those people to be able to really be their best selves yeah. i, I come, to, I'm come back to that statement again and again don't I, about people being their best selves uh-huh. because our built environment is preventing that and i want to do the opposite i want it to enable it you can take light for example and if you can really soak a space in light and allow the individual to tune that light to suit themselves you can have i'm going to give you two examples one is for somebody with dyslexia Mm -hmm. somewhere in the between green and purple spectrum it can have a profound effect on their ability to process information and that means it can make text more legible it Uh also means that it can help their brain to settle and to be able to think uh, in a more clear manner and then the other is it can have an important effect on somebody. Um, asperger's autism, for example, who may be approaching or has had a meltdown moment to regulate themselves more quickly or to avoid that meltdown. And that can be, you know, lilac, purples, uh, mauve, you know, somewhere in that sort of red, purple, blue spectrum can really help to just regulate, uh, the brain and to help self care. So that's vibration. That's light. You can do things with scent. A mirror, for example, can be profoundly valuable to someone who has real difficulty making eye contact. Ah. That eye contact can be very intense for people. Uh And it's extraordinary the effect that a mirror can have to take the real world intensity of eye-to-eye contact and make it almost feel like TV or movie. Oh my goodness. And make it feel impersonal to it. I don't mean impersonal in a negative way, but just... Enough to make it possible to make eye contact with somebody through the mirror. And that could be good in a training, in a one to one, in a coaching, in a, you know, even in a clinical uh, situation. And so those tools that we've learned from the sensory world, I just think that the workspace is ripe yeah. for that change now that we're really finally, for the first time, I think in our history, properly focusing on well being. Yeah. For all of us. For all of us. Correct. Yeah. And just look around, have a little think about is there somewhere where people could sit with their back to the wall? You know, is there a little corner that we could mark off and put a sign up that says library that, you know, that creates this little bit of permission signaling? Because that's a key thing too, because people don't want to draw attention to themselves. The world, the workplace is like a a theater stage. We're missing backstage. You Uh can't be on the stage all the time. We need to give people a little bit of backstage.
0: Wow. I love it, David, and you have given me my thing to do differently on Monday. I want to have a heightened sense of awareness of when I get prickled and and take an action to uh, recognize it and then take an action against it that's in my control.
1: Yeah, and empathize a little bit, understand, Uh you know, I read this book by Susan Cain called Quiet. Right. Um, And it was being an introvert in in a world that can't stop talking. And honestly, it was epiphanal. I read Uh that book and I came out of it wildly aware of the effect that i as an extrovert have on people who aren't like me i'm an energy stealer donna Uh. you know i take energy from others (laughs) and introverts have their own energy and they have their energy stolen and i'm being very analogous again Uh in order to have the conversation about it it's not that straightforward people are you know all sorts depending on what they're doing but simply put Extroverts are energy stealers and introverts are energy givers. And if you can just be a little bit empathic about who you are and how you fit in the world, maybe you can help the tailor of the world better for, you know, others.
0: Thank you, David O'Coyman in the Me Suite.
1: My pleasure, Donna. Take care.
0: Until the next topic, this is Donna Peters. Thank you for joining me in the Me Suite.